And the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothes in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of feasting. I mean, sorry. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray, spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs You will no longer be an object of mockery among the nations surrounding you. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Alan Gates, for those who may not know. I am one of the elders here at the church. Take this off. And it's a privilege to be here with you this morning, and happy 4th of July to all of you. This morning we'll be looking at the book of Joel, and first of all, let's uh, open a word of prayer. Dear Father, we just come before you, and we just ask you just to meet with us this morning, to be with us. We just pray, just touch our hearts and our lives, help us to hear your word and what you have to say, and just guide us during this time, and just uh, shape us as you, only you can, and help us to just to grow to be more Christ-like and for you, and we bring all these things before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tragedies can happen at any time without warning, and sometimes they happen with some warning. But it's a fact of life that tragedies happen all the, at any time for all of us, the suffering, as we talked about. Uh, an example is one that I've been reminded of 
Back in 2011, on May 22nd, the people of Joplin, Missouri, a town of 50,000 people, uh, were just going about their day, a normal day, a routine, just uh, you know, going about their business, just carrying on. Like, uh, and it was this typical spring afternoon with storms brewing up, something that we were all you know, kind of used to with storms. And it so happened that these two storms that brew up collided with each other, creating a tornado that was considered an EF5. This tornado touched down in the middle of the town, cutting a six-mile-long path through this town. It left close to 160 people dead, count thousands of them injured. It destroyed close to 8,000 buildings, including their local hospital. The devastation, the death toll, is considered to be one of the worst uh, tornadoes at the time and even still today. This past May was a two-year anniversary or a 10-year anniversary of it. And it kind of caught me by, um, anyway, I was reading through the articles because at the particular time, I was living in Arkansas at the time, and I remembered uh, the devastation of it because we sent a team there from our church there who had family to, um, to help with the support and the recovery of the town. And I remember hearing some of the stories. And this article kind of counts some of the stories of the people, those who stayed in the town, those who moved and start over and relocate it, and those who decided to move to the town to help it. Each one was their story of just dealing with the desolation, of this everything gone, the shock of it all. And then there was those, those stories of res, uh, resilience, of having to come together, finding all the help that they found, and the, the community out support, and the different Christian groups that supported them and helped them rebuild the town to what it is, a town that is still growing and that is still thriving. It caused me to think about, you know, tragedies like this, we hear them all the time. You know, just natural disasters. As we know, living here in Texas, tornadoes happen, hurricanes, hurricanes south of us. And, you know, there's major different tragedies that happen. Then there's tragedies like what we've dealt with this past year with the COVID virus, the pandemic, either affecting almost pretty much everyone. Either you're getting the virus or knowing someone who got it, knowing someone who passed away from it or even this challenges in our livelihood and how we do jobs and work. Uh, some people's jobs are lost in the midst of this. And then, of course, even the divisions within our own family and conflict. This tragedy has affected each and every one of us. Then there's tragedies that are more on the personal level, going in and having finding out that you have cancer or having a heart attack or a stroke. And these type of tragedies can change your life in an instance. Uh, I work as a hospital chaplain, and you know, this is a common discussion, this, the shock of it, you know, adjusting to the different, how am I going to do life now? How, what are all the changes that I have to do? How will I survive through this? And this leaves us with a question of you know, tragedies and suffering. How do we respond? How do we react in the midst of this? Where do we go in this? Well, this morning we'll be looking at the book of Joel. He describes a tragedy that hits the land of the people. And in this, he gives us a solution of the direction that the people should respond and ultimately gives us a resolution of pointing towards the future of hope with it. And as you know, we're continuing our series on the minor prophets as we cover each prophet each week entitled Live Justly, Love Mercy. And last week, Mike started us off with the book of Hosea. And so the book of Joel, if you haven't found it, it's a pretty short little book. It's between Hosea and Amos. 
It's only three chapters. And Joel, kind of a little introduction to Joel, there's not a lot we know about Joel. Um, He doesn't give us a lot of detailed information about which audience he's really talking to, the kings, the the timeline of where he's at. Uh, We can, at the end of the book, he mentions the people of Judah and Jerusalem, so we can assume he's talking to Judeans and the southern kingdom. Scholars are actually divided over the time, the date of the book, where it should be placed, uh, because there is no true markers. Some believe it should be pre-exile, maybe during the time of King Josiah's reign. Uh, if you remember right, he was the boy king. He was announced or crowned as king when he was seven. But you know, some believe that the priests were really ruling until Josiah became of age. Some believe it's more during the time of Jeremiah. Uh, he was a contemporary because of the language and the themes that he used. Then there's others who believe it's more post-exilic, again, because there's no king mentioned. Um, in any case, the message that Joel teaches, teaches is still the same for the people at the time, and it's still the same for us today, whichever day it is. And as I said, Joel, we're going to be looking at the problem of tragedy that he describes in detail, and then the, res- the solution, the response that he calls upon the people, and the resolution look forward. And in the first chapter, so the first chapter going into the second, Joel describes the first problem, the devastation on the land. He jumps right into his message. He begins in verse 2 through 4. It says, hear this, you elders. Give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. And he continues on. So there is a swarm, a horde of locusts that has devoured the land, that has come in and destroyed and took out all the vegetation. He continues with the description of they wasted the vines. They have stripped the bark of off the trees. Everything is laid bare. And I don't know if you're familiar with locusts. If you've lived in the country on a farm, you might have seen them and be familiar with them. But they're kind of like a large grasshopper, if you've ever seen one. And they can, and when they're coming in swarms, they can leave a pretty devastation of the land. It is said that, in the, especially in the Africa and Middle East area, they're known as the desert locusts. And at times, they will swarm into hordes and just devour the land. It is said that they can devour almost packed about 20 to 40 million of them at one time. And they can eat up to 423 million pounds of plants a day. Imagine that in the agricultural world where this many locusts are devouring the land, destroying it. And so this is what the people are dealing with. Mind you, of course, Israel is an agricultural world. They have vines, they have pastures. Everything is stripped bare. It is like a scorched earth, as one writer calls it. And Joel continues describing what's happening. And he calls upon the people to mourn, to cry out. He says in verse 13 and 14, Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Well, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. The first response Joel tells people is to cry out to God, to mourn. 
react when shocked. You know, there's all their livelihood is gone. There is a sense of mourning, a grief that is happening to the people. They're, everything, what are they, you know, they can't offer offerings to God and to the temples, let alone to keep themselves alive. Joel continues, and he describes this time, uses as a connection for the day of the Lord. He says in verse 15, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. And he continues in chapter 2, verse 1, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. This theme, day of the Lord, you'll see it often in the prophets and even in the New Testament. It is a theme that recognizes it is a day of judgment of when God comes, of unleashing his wrath upon the people and judging the nations. It is a day of redemption for people that are called that call upon God, for his people. It is a day of when we see hope realized. But Joel wants people to understand that even though this tragedy is so bad, that it is nothing compared to what is to come with the day of the Lord, to the actual day when God releases and un, when God sets everything right, when He reveals His wrath and His and His glory and all at once. It is time of fear. Ultimately, for us in the New Testament, Peter and Paul connect this day to the day when Christ will come, when He will set up His kingdom. So it is a day of fear, but it is also a day of hope being realized for us. And at the heart of it, what Joel is getting at, even though despite how bad this tragedy is, it is nothing compared to what is to come. It is only minor compared to what is, uh, if, if they do not return to God in the midst of it. Just leaves us with, when tragedies do happen in our life, we can feel like all is lost. We can wonder what is happening. Is the end times coming? It's a common theme I've heard in discussions with people who believe you know, in, in a sense, we are living in end times. You know, as we get closer and closer uh, until Christ does return. You know, Peter and Paul both believed that we lived in end times. And that was 2,000 years ago. We still continue to live in that. But we live in hope for it, for what is to come. This leads us to in chapter 2, where we see God responding to the people. Uh, in the verses that Carrie Jane shared with us. Beginning in verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord. And this kind of set with that word. Here is all this despair, this wrath, this destruction. But yet God says, hold up. There is hope. There is something more. This is not all that is meant to be. There is hope. There is a solution to all this. And he declares to the people, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with meeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not just your garments. God calls upon the people in the midst of this tragedy to return to him, to come back to him, to listen to him, to trust in him. Not only that, but with everything in their fiber and their being, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. As it makes you wonder, when we go through tragedies, have we ever fasted? Have we ever mourned? I know this past year I've talked to a lot of people who have, you know, have had to share tears just because of what's been going on. There's an element of lamenting and turn to God in the midst of this. Not only that, but he tells the people to break your hearts, to rend your hearts. You know, there's an image of, you know, when the Jews, whenever there was a lot of sorrow or something shocking, they would rip their clothes off. And God says he doesn't want to see this as physical appearance. He wants to know internally, are they broken? Are they willing to break their hearts for him? 
Are they willing to humble themselves to come to him in the midst of this? And as a quick disclaimer, this does not say that all tragedies are a result of a sin in our lives. Sometimes they are. You know, we know from other scripture passages, God uses suffering uh, in different ways and different purposes. We do know that tragedies happen because we do live in a broken and sinful world. But even in this passage, Joel never really just lays out, here's the crimes that you have committed. It can be assumed because we know the story of Judah and Israel. We know what's going on. But at any case, the message that Joel wants the people to know, whether it's sin or specific sin or just bigger sin, is return to God. Turn to him in the midst of this. You know, it's easy when we go through suffering to get angry or even turn away from God or say, I don't want to believe in this more and turn to other things. But instead, God calls upon us to return to him, to look to him with our broken and open hearts, to come before him in the midst of this. Joel continues, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Who knows? Can God change his mind? Can he do it? Can we, does our prayers change his mind? This is obviously a bigger discussion that a lot of people have asked. You know, how can our prayers change God's mind? Even if it does or doesn't, Joel is telling us, pray as if it does. Pray, because God is a merciful God. He will hear him. He will listen. He tells us the reason that we are to return to him is because he is a gracious and a merciful God. Not only that, but he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. We can turn to God because of his mercy and because of his grace. More important is what is in the Hebrew words called chesed, this loving kindness, this uh, grace that extends beyond anything that we can imagine. It is the grace that Christ showed us when he died on the cross for us. It is love that God has for each of us and cares for us. In the midst of our suffering, we can turn to him. We can trust in him, which is hard to trust. Let's be honest, it is hard to trust. You know, we're, I know for myself, I'm a person, I like to have control. I like to know how things are going to plan out. I want to know how what's going to happen each and every day. And it's hard when you're trusting in God because God's ways are different from ours. You know, as it says, who knows? God's mind is, God sees differently from us. He sees the eternal perspective. Not just in our, what we see in our little timeline. God sees beyond it. He knows the end result. And in the midst of this, we are called upon to trust him, even though it's hard and it is challenging. It's a daily task, let's be honest, to just be able to turn to God and to trust him in the midst of this, in the midst of sorrow and pain, wanting to find some sense of control in the midst of what's happening. And he continues on calling on people to call, to blow a trumpet, to gather the people, to pray, to cry out, to mourn, to make petitions before God so that he would hear them. And again, this is at the heart of this message of continuing to say God is calling on them to reach out to him, to listen, to trust in him. You know, whether or not God answers, sometimes God doesn't always answer our prayers. But sometimes he answers it in a different way than what we expect. Which, again, leads us to the reason why we are to trust him is to help get so we can see from his eyes, so we can see from his perspective. We can become more Christ-like and understand what he is doing. In this instance, God does answer and respond. 
he tells them in verse 18, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will make you no more, make, no more make you a reproach among the nations. God answers his people. His mercy is seen through. He loves and cares for you. He restores what has happened to him, the devastation of it. And in the midst of this, as I said, not always do we see God answering our prayers, or maybe not in the way we want, but at times he does. And at times it's just it's more of a God changing our hearts, changing our minds, our perspective on what's happening around us. Uh, in conversations with people, I've talked with patients and families who share about past experiences with suffering. And one of the interesting themes, they talk about how the suffering they went through actually caused them to come closer to God, to draw them closer. They don't want to ever have to go through it again. They don't even want to go through what they're going through at that time. But they are grateful because they see that suffering brings them closer to God. It turns, changes their heart. It transforms us. And any type of tragedy or suffering that we may go through or are going through, God is changing us. We can, when we turn to him, when we allow him, he can change and transform us and turning us, and helping us see with better eyes, see beyond what is this, beyond us, beyond more, looking through his eyes in the midst of this. Which leads us to the next point, uh, having that eternal perspective, which is where God promises to the people of Judah that he will restore them, he will redeem them, that he promises them hope in the midst of it. He tells them in chapter, uh, the end of chapter 2, verse 28, It shall come to pass afterward. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. You may be familiar with this passage as Peter uh, quotes from it in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit is uh, or given out to all to the believers. And, of course, there's different opinions on the prophecy. Is it being fulfilled then? Is it being fulfilled later? Is it ongoing fulfillment? And, again, it goes back to realizing, even within prophecies, as we continue in the prophets, God, again, doesn't work. God sees beyond our timeline. He works in within eternity. He enters into our timeline. So when we see prophecies that, yes, it is being fulfilled, but it's ongoing with fulfillment and will be truly fulfilled when the day of the Lord comes. We will see when Christ returns that all this, everything will be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit will be uh, truly sent out to all people. You know, today we have that gift of the Spirit within us, and it is part of what helps transform us, transform us to be more Christ-like, to have the seed beyond what we're seeing, to have the hope that continues building up in us, that sustains us during these times of tragedies. It is the hope that uh, guides us and helps us and keeps us from despairing. And God continues telling the people the hope to strengthen them 
He tells them he will bring justice on the nations. He continues on in chapter 3 about all the nations that he will judge for their wrongdoings against his people. And not only that, but he will restore Jerusalem to the center place, to where it is. And ultimately, it's so that all people will know that he is the Lord their God and that He is that they, they will be called upon his people. And Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers will never again pass through it. Not only that, but God promises them hills of sweet wine, mountains of, uh, or hills of milk, sorry, mountains of sweet wine. You know, all the vegetation that has been devastated, all the destruction, God will restore, he will redeem. And it is in that that we have our hope, that someday we will see hope realized, that God will come and set things right. He will have his justice, and that we can trust in him with that. Of course, the hard part is we still live in the here and now. We still live in the midst of this tragedy and this hardness. But we have the Holy Spirit transforming us and helping us, growing us in the midst of all this, changing us, helping us see with different eyes. Knowing that, as we talked about, as mentioned this morning, as we heard in the last sermon series, we are citizens of heaven. And as such, we are to be living out Christ-like, recognizing that this is not our home that there is something better coming, and that hope can sustain us, keep us from despairing, keep us from giving up or wondering where is this going. And so as we look at this, the book of Joel, he, he gives us, lays out the tragedy of what happens to the people, the destruction, and he cries out to them to mourn, to lament. Not only that, but he tells us a solution to return to God, to seek his face, to trust in him because he is gracious, he is loving, he is merciful. And not only that, but he tells us to hope and the promise that God has come, that God will come again, he will set things right. God has not forgotten us, that he will see us through. So what are some takeaways we can take for this for us in a personal application? Early on, Mike shared a three key applications through this series. Read, pray, and walk. Read. I would challenge you to read the book of Joel if you haven't this week. Again, it's only three chapters, and it's a pretty short little book. But even that, I would challenge you to read through the prophets as we continue on. Uh, I recognize prophets are very, can be kind of hard to read through, all the poetry, the imagery, uh, the destruction. Uh, But I would challenge you just to be open to it, to continue reading, Uh, to share a little story of my own uh, kind of experience with the prophets. Uh, years ago, a friend of mine, we were talking about how hard it is to read through the prophets, how it can be kind of depressing at times. But I decided when I, actually it was when I took the prophets class at seminary, so you're kind of forced to read through them. But I chose to have a different perspective in it. And through that, I found these little, what I would call golden nuggets, of uh, these messages of hope. And not only that, but messages of where we see God's character being revealed. For God, we see God describing himself and using different metaphors, such as in Joel, we see that God is a gracious and a merciful God, that he loves us, that he still wants his people, he cares for his people. You know, he doesn't want anyone to perish. So to challenge you, as we continue this series, be willing to read through the prophets, take your time, and just be open to finding these little passages, which leads to the second one, to pray. Pray through these little golden nuggets or we see God's character being revealed, or we see these messages of hope, praying to God to build up this hope, to give me this hope that I need in my life, 
and to see with your eyes. And with that, I would also offer, be willing to pray as in lament and to mourn when sorrows and tragedies happen. Uh, it's something that's out of, been on my mind a lot for the past year is to, we've lost the art, or some people have said we lost the art of lament, of learning how to just cry out to God, uh, to bringing our hearts to him, broken, you know, that this is not the way it should be. Uh, and in the midst of this lament, I think, builds up joy in us, builds up hope, because it helps us see that this is not the way it should be, that there is something better, that God has more in store for us, that there is hope, that there is joy that can build up within us. And this is not to say that we should have joy just pretending everything's okay or having a smiley face, uh, because, again, going back to the book, we see that people, Joel is calling people to mourn, to lament. You know, part of joy, we can cry and be sorrowful and still have joy. It is a weird combination, uh, which only the Holy Spirit, I believe, can bring about within us. But it can happen. I've, uh, again, from some families I've worked with dealing with, like, end-of-life decisions and discussions, it was interesting seeing some who share about the sorrow, the sadness of losing their loved one, but also having joy, knowing hope that they will see them again and that their loved one will see their, uh, those who have gone on before them in the midst of that. You know, at times they don't know how to describe it, and it is hard to describe, to truly be sorrowful but also be joy. And in the midst of that, the joy turns our sorrow to, to gladness because we, act, we realize the hope that we have in the future where God takes us. And the last one is to walk. We walk by caring for those who are hurting and sorrow. I would challenge you, you know, as we're slowly kind of getting together again, some people are a little bit more open than others, be willing to just sit with someone who's going through a hard time or a difficult time, or just be willing to get together and just talk about hope. What does eternal hope look like? What does the having, what does hope look like in this instance and in this what you're going through? What did hope look like in the midst of this past year with the pandemic that's happening? How do we change it? How do we grow in that? And part of that is just being in community with each other and discipling one another and helping build up. Again, we should we, we need each other. If we learned anything I, for myself during the pandemic is how easy it can be to be isolated and to be lonely. But the reality is we need each other. We need to reach out and continue building relationships, growing together in the midst of all this. And we'll close in prayer. Dear Father, we just come before you and we just ask you just to meet with us here and just help us have hearts that hope in you to look to you through this time. Give us strength and help us to learn to just cry out when sorrow happens. And we just ask you just to build us up as a community, as citizens of heaven. And we just pray to guide us as we continue this series that we see you and just learn more of you and just come closer to you in the midst of this. And we just bring all these things before you. In Jesus' name, amen.